Well, good morning, Redeemer family and friends. Uh, I love you, and I'm so thankful and blessed to call you brothers and sisters as we have this awesome blessing of worshiping our awesomely wonderful, majestic, holy, triune God today. And if you are a guest, you are dearly welcomed. Uh, we want to honor you. We'd love to get to meet you today, hear about your story, uh, learn uh, uh, why you came by. Uh, so also, please be gracious with us um, and bear with us. We're doing some renovations, and so we're right in the middle of that. And so we got some inspections a few weeks ago. We're tearing some stuff up, and we hope to make this place a really nice place that will even serve, Lord willing, as a, a wedding venue or an event space. So if you're visiting, pray for that. And, and uh, you know, uh, our people, please keep praying for that as things keep moving. Um, we, again, are in this a season of, of Advent. And so we're in the third uh, week. And so we have these candles, and this represents hope, joy. And the third candle represents um, hope, peace, and joy. And so uh, this represents the Christ candle, and this pink one um, represents love. So we're in the middle of that um, this week. Actually, I did it wrong. This one. This one is actually joy, pink. I don't know why. It's just what tradition is. So anyways, uh, they don't, it doesn't mean anything. But um, So again, we're, we're as a church in this third uh, week of Advent. And so <clears throat> Advent, if you've never done it, it's something that the church has done uh, historically as a whole to remember um, his first and second coming. I grew up Baptist. We didn't do Advent at all. So <laughs> it's just Christmas season. We could call it Christmas season, Advent. Again, Advent means um, this idea that uh, the Latin, that, that uh, coming or arrival. So if you ever have taken Spanish 101, venir is the verb to come. So that's what we're saying, that Jesus came as a baby and he's coming again. And so, again, these big themes in Advent are hope, uh, peace, joy, and love. And, and again, these candles aren't mi- magical or mystical. They're just a historical remembrance of this hope, peace, joy, and love that we have in Jesus, the light of the world. And so I encourage you this Advent season, again, to, to think less about all that the culture tells us to think about, Rudolph, uh, Santa Claus, uh, a, ch- a hot chocolate, presents, all this stuff. There's nothing wrong with that stuff. Um, it can be, but there's nothing wrong with that stuff in itself. <clears throat> Traditions are fun and, and fine. Um, but, but I encourage us to think more of Jesus Christ in his Advent, that he actually came and, and, and that we remember this Christmas or this Advent season and remember that Christ actually came and he's coming again. And this is why we celebrate Advent. Again, we're looking at the biblical theme of joys while we have the three candles lit. And um, we're not just celebrating the fact that Jesus came as a baby, but we're remembering that he's coming as this king, this day of the Lord, to judge and to set things right. And so when we look at the true gospel story of the whole Bible, we see that God had a perfect plan to allow this child, this baby, to redeem us. And that Jesus would be given to us as our Redeemer, who would be this God with us. Big theme of Christmas, also a big theme of the whole Bible. It's a summary if you want to say the gospel in three words, God with us. We see that from the garden to when Christ comes back. And so Jesus, again, would be given to us as our Redeemer, who would be this God with us. And so today we're going to ask the question, we've been asking questions Um, In our uh, uh, four-week series of Advent, we're going to ask the question, when is Jesus coming? And so as we ask this question, we're going to be in Luke 
2, uh, 1 through 21, which will allow us to worship and learn our main idea today that Jesus came at the perfect time in history. We're going to talk a little bit about that. To become our redeeming joy. And guys, he's coming again. So Jesus came at the perfect time in history to become our redeeming joy. And he is coming again. But speaking of joy, have you ever truly understood joy? In our culture, in the way we use joy in English, we can equate joy with just mere happiness. And so, it, it, again, but, but biblical joy is more than that. It's not just being happy. And the, the thing is that we, it, biblical joy actually has this attached hope, peace, love uh, that, that Christ gives. And, and, and we can see that in Christ that Jesus, Jesus is our redeeming joy and that God gives you true joy in himself and nothing else as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Again, but our joy, it, it's not found in circumstances. It's not found in, in, in stuff, but solely in God. Remember, biblical joy is not just this, this mere happiness. Now, it can have elements of happiness. We don't want to discount that. Um, <clears throat> but joy is a state of the heart. Joy is stable. Again, joy is a state of the heart, and joy is stable. And it, joy does not move with circumstances. Biblical joy is stable, and happiness is not. Happiness moves, right? You're driving, you're happy, you got a million dollars, and then someone cuts you off in the middle of the road, right? That, that happiness is here and then gone. So joy is a state of your heart, and it's having this true confidence in God. It's another way of saying it. Joy is having this true confidence in God. It's knowing and loving God, the Father, His Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. So do you have this true joy in our triune God today? Guys, true abidings, this, this word the Bible uses that means living in Jesus or, or loving Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus does that. He abides in us and we abide in him. That that is the only thing that can actually give us true joy. And so in our text today, Luke 2, 1 through 21, I encourage you to open your Bible, turn on your Bible, have it there. Have your eyes in there with me. We're going to walk through it. We have a bigger part of text today, so usually I like to read it up front, but we're just going to kind of walk through it since it's a longer chunk. But we're going to see that this text in Luke 2, 1 through 21, again, allows us to worship and learn that Jesus came at the perfect time in history to become our redeeming joy, and he's coming again. And so let's read and walk through this first part of, of Luke, um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. So to set the, the scene, we have this, this scene of this uh, Roman census where the Roman leadership or the emperor wanted um, this census to be taken of all the living people in this heavily Jewish populated section of the Roman Empire, which affected Mary and Joseph, who were Jews. So verse 1 starts and says, In those days, a decree went out. From Caesar Augustus, that all the world should uh, he said that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, 
each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee. We see where Joseph, Joseph was from. That's why Jesus is from Galilee. From the town of Nazareth, so that's the town in Galilee, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and the lineage of David. So we see Jesus' lineage um, coming from Joseph from the house of David. So it says, to be, verse 5, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed. That means they're in a relationship. They um, were um, set to be married. A little different than how we do it today. Um, they had about a year, a time of engagement. And it says that Mary was with child. Wait a minute. They're not married yet, right? So that's the miracle. And it says, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. So here's where we see and know that they were engaged and that Mary was um, pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And it says, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And this is the miracle. That Jesus came, he was this Messiah, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. We're going to sing away in a manger later because there was no place for them in the inn. And so, again, we see this miracle happening, this quiet miracle. I I know Mary understood and Joseph understood, and and then we see this revelation start to happen to the shepherds and, and some other people. But this quiet, that's why we sing Silent Night. Although in heaven there was roars, on earth it was quiet. Like nobody knew what was going on. Mary had an idea. Joseph had an idea. So there was no place for Jesus to stay in the inn. He he was born in a manger, meaning this place where animals ate from. I could give you a a, a fuller description of that. I I won't. But if you want to know how that was set up, uh, most people think it was cute and fun. But it it was actually where the, the animals ate. And so that's where they were. And so it was custom in a a normal Jewish house to have like two parts. This is where the family would stay, and then this is where the animals would stay, and there's this division, and more than likely the the animals um, would come and put their head. So imagine this is cut out, and like a a, a horse or a camel would eat. And so that's where Jesus was. He wasn't like in probably (laughs) with the animals where the nasty stuff is, but he was right close to where they would come eat, and there was a little manger there where the animals would eat from, and that's where he was. And he was in the room with his family on this side, and so that was, again, cut out. You think like a big cut out, and their little big animal heads would come in and eat and then go sleep. And so that was the setting. And there were, there were likely many animals around. Uh, maybe they had to bring that manger in a little bit so the camels weren't licking Jesus in the face. But they were in this barn-like area because the, the, the inn had no room, and that meant the, the other places, the, the other places where people were received didn't have room. And so uh, the thing to think about this um, that, that, that we forget sometimes is that this is actually a statement of humility, that the king of the world laid in a place where animals ate. Think about that. Some people let their dogs look him in the face. That's not me. God bless you if you do that. That's just not me. Um, that's rough. Like, now imagine a camel looking you in the face. Right? Or a donkey. That's rough. That's a rough thing. But that's what the statement that Jesus was making, that he was humble. And so it may not seem clear yet, but this little baby Jesus, Emmanuel, meaning God with us, um, fulfilled these promises from the Old Testament to be born in Bethlehem and come from David's house. And this gives us confidence through God's word 
and plan to see our first point today. We're going to spend some time here that Jesus actually came at the perfect time in history. So if when we look at the true gospel story of the whole Bible, we see God had a perfect plan to allow this child, Jesus, who would be given to us as our Redeemer, um, known as God's Word, we see the, the Bible paint a clear picture through creation that we were made good in the image of God and that he created the world good. And he had a plan. He wasn't caught off guard. He had a plan to, to reveal his son in his timing, not our timing. This son of glory, Jesus, who would come and be the answer to the fall of man. You see, men, we fell at the garden, Adam and Eve. And God was not surprised. He wasn't like, oh, snap, Adam and Eve fell. What do I do now? i got to change the story. No, no, no. He was actually writing the story. Adam and Eve did the same thing that you and I would have done Faced with sin, they, they, they failed, and they sinned against the holy God. But then we see that Jesus came into the picture, the one who was there at the beginning, the Bible says, sitting at the right hand of the Father, this King of kings, this Lord of hosts, or angel armies, the, this Lord who was eternal and who created, again, from the beginning um, with the Father and the Spirit. Jesus would be born of the flesh, and he would be incarnate, meaning he would be in flesh. And he would be born through this Hebrew virgin named Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, because God granted Mary favor or grace, just like he does to us. Mary was sinful just like us. She wasn't a, a demigod or anything, but the, the Bible says clearly she was given grace or favor. That's if you have a daughter named Hannah or Anna. I have a daughter named Anna. It's coming from the Hebrew root, henna, which means grace or favor, something that you don't deserve that God gives. And so then Mary gives birth to the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus, who is called Emmanuel or God with us, a sweet child who would become a man who had flesh just like you and me, who sweat, who cried, who had to use the bathroom, who did all the things, who was tempted just like you and I were, to eat more, to do that sexual sin. Satan offered him the kingdoms of the world. He went to him when he was weak and said, do you want this? I can give you this. That same Jesus who was our mediator was an actual man. That's why he's, he's Jesus, the, the, the God man. But those 30-something years that he lived, he was an actual man. So he can sympathize for us. But he was also God, and he had power over sin and death. And Jesus came, and he lived this perfect, sinless life and proved that he was God. And some people admired him, and some people hated him. And so he died on that Roman cross, a perfect sacrifice to cover or atone for mankind's sin, to take on the wrath or the anger of God as this perfect sacrifice that only he could be for man, to give us as humans, the opportunity to be redeemed. Now, because of Jesus, man had redemption. Jesus' sacrifice now offered favor or grace to us as humans to have our eyes opened or this veil lifted from our face to see this holy God. And then God now gives us the opportunity to love him for the first time in his death in his burial, in his resurrection on a Roman cross, and, and then to, to know his ascension and know his promise to come again just like he came as a baby. And so Jesus gave 
and gives us now this opportunity to repent and believe. Repentance means to have your mind changed or to turn away from sin and, and Satan's kingdom and to turn to Christ and his kingdom. That's what repentance means. It usually talked of as a ship that would turn. And so God gives us this grace. He gives us this gift. That's why it's cool on Christmas to, to give gifts. We're remembering the favor of God who gives stuff to us, grace, and the ability to be saved, and we don't deserve it. I think, kids, that's why we do Christmas presents. So you know, man, it was a reminder for the children and for us of what God is doing. God also gave us mercy in not giving us the punishment that we deserve for our sin because we actually deserve everybody that's ever lived deserves to be punished for our sin. We deserve death and hell. We don't like that, but it's what we deserve. Nobody. God would be just if we all went to hell. Human, we don't like to hear that, but that's true. That's why God is gracious and loving. He actually offers. We, don't, we, don't, we can't earn salvation. Many times people will say, yeah, yeah, I believe that, but we really don't. When we think about family members or even our children or even other people, like none of them deserve Jesus. We don't either. And again, that's the beauty of the gospel story, that we all deserve sin and death and that God is a just God. He's actually judged. That's why we remember the second advent, that, he is the, the, that the day of the Lord is coming. The Hebrew people would think of this judge coming to set things right, all the things that, that you have seen that you hate. And it's okay to hate sin. It's not, it's not okay to, to um, put justice in your own hands. That's a big problem in our culture today is we think, Politics can save us. We think the right uh, school for our kids can save us. We think the right uh, uh, amount of money in our bank account can save us. We think so many other things are good gods, but they're not. Only Christ can save us. Only his redemption. We all deserve sin and death, and God is a good, just judge. And he's so good that he came down in the flesh 2,000 years ago, God incarnate, to save us, to actually redeem us, to buy us back. Because what we deserved was, was hell and death. The Bible, Jesus describes it as Gehenna. So I used, to, I used to be an airplane mechanic in the Air Force. And I, unbeknownst to me, I worked in the stinkiest place in uh, the military. It was one, uh, I was a mechanic, but we would wake up every morning and smell everything burning. From feces to whatever, just burning gas, uh, hydraulic fluid, all. And so I remember, I would, we would joke, and I'd be like, "Man, that is gonna mess us up when we're 40." I'm 40 now, and so we would joke. And this new act just came out, like uh, a month ago or something like that, that is actually acknowledging those things did damage. Thanks, government. They're always, uh, you know, 20 years behind. Um, but the, the point is, Jesus said that that they would say this Gehenna, meaning hell. It would, they would burn everything outside of Jerusalem, and that's what Jesus would allude to when he talked about hell. This funky, nasty smell and this fire that, that would burn up everything in the city. People actually, that's what we deserve, guys. That's what we deserve, but that's the beauty of the gospel story that Christ said, hey, I came to set you free from that. That you, many of you, would become his children and be changed. And we would have this redemption that he gives to us, this hope. And we would have this future hope that, that he has promised to actually come again. You see, Jesus actually changed history. This man who did not have money or a name, he eventually got a name. But he, wasn't, he didn't inherit this powerful name. 
He did come from this awesome lineage, but it was lost. He was just another Jew. He didn't come from earthly royalty. Jesus, whose people, the Jews, were conquered by the Romans, and then the Greeks before, and then the Syrians after, and then the Babylonians, and then the Persians. And for many years, even to our recent history, we were conquered by the British and the Ottoman Empire before that, which is Turkey. This, this small little nation, God used them. God used this man, Jesus, to change history. God built his, God in his sovereignty allowed the Romans to build their empire with these expansive highways and cities that connected the whole world. My name is Martinez, named after the Roman god of war, Mars. So if anybody has a name Martin, that's where your name comes from. A lot of us carry these Latin names. Even uh, the, the Latins, the Romans went into England and they went all over Europe. And God allowed that to happen. And he allowed, before the Romans came, he allowed Greek to be the lingua franca, meaning that the language of the day. And then Latin, right at the middle time, there was Greek and Latin mixing it up. And because of Alexander the Great, conquest and expansion um, and, 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 uh, of um, the world and the Greco-Roman time, Greek was actually the language of the day during Jesus' time. So the Jews spoke this language called Aramaic. is a mixture of Hebrew and um, uh, more than likely Babylonian, where they came from. And they, at that time, they were speaking Greek. And so Greek became, again, because of Alexander the Great's conquest and expansion of the Greek culture uh, a few centuries before, we see that Greek became this international language, much like English today. And so the Greek language was used in the Roman Empire to get the gospel out as far as the Roman Empire reached. God used this Greek, this Greek language to just spread the gospel. This combination, again, of this Greco-Roman culture was the perfect time for Jesus to come and bring the gospel, which would then allow it spread throughout the whole world. You see, this mix of these other powerful nations, first the Greeks and then the Romans, provided this perfect system for Jesus to come and change the world and become the redeemer of the world. He, he, this allowed him to, to be our redeeming joy, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles, meaning the nations. That's what that means, meaning us. You see, we want to question God sometimes, and, and often, if, if in our pride, we can think that we can write a better story than God. And sometimes in our pride, we can be ignorant of God's wisdom and sovereignty in his writing of his story. And so I know I have thought this at times. You know, I was like, man, why did God come such a long time ago? We're asking the question, when is uh, uh, Jesus coming? Especially, like, why did he come when there was no technology? Come on, God, like, you should have used some, you know, YouTube or something. Like, I, I was like, it could have been more effective if we captured the gospel message on film, right, or on video. And I remember I thought as a kid, I was like, hmm. And even as a young man, like 20, like, if, if we only had that VHS of Jesus, right, like my Aladdin VHS when I was a kid or my Lion King collection, with that big chunky VHS, if we only had the footage of Jesus, like, people would believe it. I was like, people would actually believe it, right? And then what happens? VHS go out of style. <laughs> and then there's, like, DVDs. And I'm like, okay, well, if we had a DVD. But then those two faded away in media history, right? There's only a few around. Uh, and usually when you see DVD, you just, like, break it. It's like, what's the point? And so then I thought, well, now we got YouTube. Why, why didn't God just use YouTube? That, that's, the, that's the one. That is the one, right? I mean, if everyone could just see 
Jesus' real death and real resurrection on YouTube, it would reach everyone, right? I mean, the whole world. It'd have like a gazillion views and everyone would be, would be saved. But really, like with all the fake news and video editing technology, do you think any of us would actually believe the YouTube videos of Jesus? No. Even if they were true and real, even if that's what God did, I mean, I wouldn't believe them. I would be skeptical. I would be very skeptical. You, just like me, would be like, man, these are fake. Those aren't real, right, probably? And we would probably just laugh and mock how ugly and how fake-looking the videos were. We're like, man, look at that. That Jesus' hair looks weird there or something, you know. He wasn't that color. He didn't look like that. We, we, we would mock the, the, the video editing and the Photoshop-like quality of what we thought we saw in the videos. Um, um, and some people would turn the other way and worship the videos. Not Jesus. They would worship the videos. This, this happens. This happened historically. People worship images or like Jesus was born here, so they think they have this cloth, this shroud, and they worship the shroud and images and stuff like that. But see, no, God actually left us his living word, which is Jesus, and his written word that we know today, the Bible. God knew that the best way to preserve the truth was not in a YouTube video or VHS or DVD, but through the written word. The book, a book. The Bible has been preserved like no other book in human history. Who would have thought a book still is the strongest thing? The, the, the strongest testimony, in a sense, that God would use. It's not just a book, but the, the living word, Jesus, attached to this book that he gave us. God preserved his word so that we can actually be talking about it today and learning from it today. So that means it's pretty important, right? We hang our hat. How do we even know about Jesus? It's from his word. And so we have to be people of the word. We have to crave God's word. Sometimes we wonder, why is this happening or that happening or why? And I'm like, are we a people of the word? Are we loving God's word? Not just studying to study, but loving it and reading it and caring about it and seeing how and praying, Spirit, help this word impact me and change me. God preserved his word so that we can learn and talk about it today. And he used the Greco-Roman world and the, and the perfect time in history to send the Son of Man, Jesus, the Son of God, to change history. You see, Jesus actually changed history. No matter what people say, he changed history. And he came at the perfect time. And so our first point states that Jesus came at the perfect time in history. The world and the Hebrew people were waiting their whole lives at that time, asking the question, when is Jesus coming? And then he came. Humbly as a little baby. And Jesus came at the perfect time in history to become our redeeming joy. And guys, he's coming again. So let's now look at our next chunk in verses 8 and 21, which will help us see our second point today, that Jesus came to be our redeeming joy. Remember how we opened up talking about joy. It's not just a Christian-y word we say, but Jesus actually came to be our redeeming joy. And so let's look at verses 8 through 21. Verse 8 says, and in the same region there were shepherds. <clears throat> so now we see these, these new uh, characters. These shepherds, they were out in the field. And what do shepherds do? <clears throat> they were keeping watch over their flock by night. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then verse 9 says, and then an angel of the Lord appeared. 
That's why I slapped because it can't probably appear just like that. <laughs> just gotcha. Sorry if there's a little child that woke him up. Um, the angel of the Lord appeared, and it says the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Just imagine you're just watching some goats and some sheep, <laughs> and then boom, the, the, these angels. And, and angels, a lot of times we think of angels as these cute little things. Um, I think angels are the same beings as demons, so think of that. They Now, they're redeemed. The angels are the ones, so uh, the angels can come in human form. They can come in different form. Um, we don't have to be scared of them, but it, every time we see in the Bible when an angel appears, people are scared. So it's not like a cute little angel with a halo. It was something that was like, whoa, glory, light, uh, power. They can even sense that. And, and it says that they were... It says, an angel of the Lord, verse 9, appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. They were terrified. These shepherds were scared. Verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not. I don't know what the angel voice was. Fear not. Or like, fear not. I don't know. Probably like, hey, fear not. Maybe it was calmer. I don't know. For he says, for behold, behold is this, pay attention. Look, see, behold, I, the angel, angel, literally means in Greek, a messenger of God. That's what the word angel, if you ever heard the book of Malachi, it's my messenger. So the book of Malachi just means that there's, a, there, there's this idea, this messenger from God. That's what angels are. They're messengers. So verse 10, the, the angel, the messenger said to them, fear not, don't be afraid, because they were terrified. For behold, I bring you good news. This word good news is where we get our word gospel it's this good news. The gospel was this proclamation that the Caesar or the empire was coming. That's what Evangelion, this, this proclamation like da-da-da-da, here comes Caesar Augustus and all the road. If you've ever seen like gladiators, just imagine like this, this proclamation of this, this awesome strong king is coming in. That's the announcement of the gospel. That's where we get this word. Proclamation. It's this good news, not just like good news, don't do do like, I just, it seems cheesy when we say good news sometimes. But it was like this good news, like the loudest you would scream at a concert or the happiest you've ever been in your life. It was that kind of good news, this proclamation, like, woo-hoo-hoo, like something like that. He's coming. He's coming. He says, I bring you good news. Now he switches it, not of great fear, but of great joy. Guys, we can have joy that God gives, that only God gives. He says, I bring you this good news, this gospel, this proclamation of great joy that will be for all people, not just the Jews, all people. And we're passionate about that here at Redeemer, that we would be a church that, that reaches out to all the different kinds of people in, our, in America. And then verse 11, this famous says, uh, 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 scripture says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a deliverer, a redeemer. Literally in Hebrew, it's a Joshua. If you, have, if you named your son Joshua, you're just like the Hispanics that call their kid Jesus. Sorry. A deliverer, uh, a Joshua, this redeemer who is Christ. He's the actual Messiah, the Lord, the one we call Adonai. And Adonai in the Hebrew is where they would call, they, would, they, would, uh, they wouldn't say it because that's where in the Hebrew Bible, Yahweh, the personal name of God was found. So that all this is saying that Jesus is God. We see here Jesus is our actual redeeming joy. All the redemption he does, he gives us and offers us this joy in his salvation. And he offers us the promises that are actually fulfilled in him. Verse 12 continues saying, and this will be a sign for you. 
He tells the shepherds, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Again, that humble Jesus, they're like, in a manger? And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I can imagine the, the music coming out of those angels. I love music. I'm a music guy. I can imagine. We're going to sing, hark the herald angels sing, and I don't think we could do it justice to what those angels sound like, tones and things that we've never heard before. But they were praising God. That's why we sing in church, because we mimic what the angels do. The Bible commands us to sing, so I encourage you to sing with passion and sing with love for Jesus. But we see, like last week, that God gives peace to his children. He wants to give you peace. He doesn't want you to live this crazy Christmas season when everything's so busy and you don't know what you're doing and life's so busy. Those things happen. But in that mess, God gives you peace. He gives you hope and he gives you joy. That's a mark of being a believer. Are you stable? Remember, joy is stable. It's not this wavering thing. So, again, can we trust that God, can we trust God that Jesus, who is God, came at the perfect time in history and he wrote the perfect story to actually become our redeeming joy that impacts us today and changes us every day and that he's, guys, he's actually coming again. So this last section in our verses 15 through 21 solidify our first and second points as the text gives us this gospel hope of the fact that Jesus truly came at the perfect time and that he truly is our redeeming joy. So let's look at verses 15 and 21. They say, verse 15, now when the angels went away from them into heaven, the angels are now gone, the shepherds said to one another, Man, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. You see the shepherds now have been given favor or grace. They didn't know that on their own. God made it known to them. So just like God did to the shepherds in making himself known to them, God reveals himself to us, not the other way around. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. That's where salvation starts. That's where humility starts. That's where we mimic the humility of Jesus we see in the manger. Verse 16 continues saying, And they went with haste, they went fast, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. It's the third time we see this word manger in case we missed that Jesus was humble. Verse 17, And when they saw it, now they made known the saying, so it was made known to them by, by God, and now these shepherds can't, they want to proclaim and they want to make it knowing, saying that they had been, that saying that had been told them concerning the child. They wanted to declare the prophecy, this gospel promise that they had heard from the Old Testament. These shepherds were more likely um, Jewish men, and so they knew about this Messiah that was coming. And so then verse 18 says, and all who heard it, the shepherds now are gospeling, right? Or they're proclaiming the gospel. And it says, now, now we see in verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now others hear the gospel, and, and others hear that good news story of Jesus. But now listen to Mary. But Mary treasured up all these things. I think there's these two uh, thoughts here. We see the shepherds are amped, and, and that, yes, there's this external proclamation of the gospel that we should give and we should want to give, and then we learn from Mary here. Also, she treasured up all these things, pondering them, thinking about the gospel of Jesus in her heart. It wasn't just something she said. It was something she believed. She believed 
in her son. And I, didn't, I don't know if she, I don't think she had the full revelation yet, but from where she was at, she believed in what she needed to believe at that point, that her, through her, this Messiah had come. And so Mary treasured the gospel and thought about the gospel promises given to her. This God with us was literally God in her and now God with her. And she was holding God with us. Just imagine that. And she pondered the beauty. And I'm sure she had questions. And she, was, and she, and she had just witnessed this question that we're talking. When is Jesus coming? She had literally just given birth to him. And I'm not sure how much she knew of his coming again. But she was in wonder of the Messiah. And verses 20 and 21 show us worship of Jesus and the hope that Jesus is actually coming again. Verse 20 says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They They were now testifying to the gospel. And it says, At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, Jesus... He was called Jesus. Again, that word means we say Joshua in English or Yeshua in Hebrew. It's this deliverer, redeemer. It's this idea, the book of Moses, Joshua was the deliverer after Moses who would, who would take the Jews to the promised land. And so the, this name was given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb, the text says. And so we're left again. Knowing that Jesus actually came at the perfect time in history. Don't let anybody deceive you. Don't let scholars deceive you. Don't let the world deceive you. As we learned last week in Peter, people are going to ask, like, did he really come? Like, he's really, really coming? Like, it's been a long time since he's come. Don't fall for that trap. Jesus came at the perfect time in history to become our redeeming joy, and he's coming again. So our third point um, from our main idea is that Jesus is coming again. Jesus had 12 men that he called disciples, and several women who were his disciples or his learners, his followers. He had many other who followed him at various levels. You see, these disciples saw something different about Jesus. Now, not all of Jesus' disciples were loyal. Many deserted him. And when he was sold by his people's leadership into Romans' hands, even his closest disciples ran away and denied him. And we see Judas, who was Dewey, who was right there with the other disciples, betrayed Jesus. He was accused and convicted as a criminal. In fact, another criminal, Barabbas, was released and set free, and Jesus became the prisoner his own people wanted to now crucify. And they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus took the painful road of being hung on a tree, hung on this Roman cross, and he was murdered. And they they spat on him, they mocked him, they beat him to where you and I would not recognize his face. He was bloody and in pain. But most of all, more than this physical uh, pain, man, he took on the wrath of God. And he became the penalty for human sin. God put all his wrath on Christ. And all the deep, dark, evil, disturbing things that other people have thought that you and I have thought and done, all those things we'd be scared anybody found out about, this perfect, innocent sacrifice, Jesus took on the wrath or the anger of God. The Bible says God has anger. He has perfect anger. He has perfect hate. We can hold that too at times. If someone was to hurt your family or to, to come in here and do something crazy, like it's not, we're not wrong to hate that act. God hates perfectly. We can too, but God does it 
He hates perfectly all the time, and he's love all the time. That's one of his characteristics. And because he has this perfect justice, he makes things right. He's the perfect judge. He hates sin. And that's why he put the sin of the world on Jesus, who became that sacrifice, who absorbed that. So that we could have hope and that we could have this redeeming joy in us, real joy. Hope and joy that he would restore the world and that we could live now. We don't have to wait tomorrow to live or the next day. We can have joy in Christ as our redeeming joy now. It actually redeems or buys back. It changes us. It makes us new creations. doesn't mean perfect, but the Bible says we're being perfected. So sometimes as Christians, we forget that. We're just like, oh, well, I'm just who, how I am. No, you're not. If you're bought by Christ, the price that he paid, he's called us to change. And you know what a change often looks like? It's seeing more and more of your sin. It's not saying, oh, man, I can't believe that person did that. Oh, man, wow. It's saying, man, that person did that, and woe is me. What would I have done at the beginning of the cross? I mean, at the beginning of time uh, when uh, faced with uh, the snake tempting me, what if we were Adam and Eve, how we would have fallen to? And how many sins has God protected us and saved us from? But redeeming joy that Christ gives allows us to know that we will be a new creation and there will be a new creation of heaven and earth. And even those, who he, those he has saved will have new bodies, real bodies, and we will be fully glorified with him. And we will see the culmination and the completion of his kingdom that he's promised to bring and establish on earth. So this Jesus the world rejects as Savior, even the scholars and the people who hate Jesus, they can't deny that, that, that he actually changed the world. We mark our calendar on this man who was God. And history and time cannot reject that as a man, Jesus changed the world. He changed the way of humanity. Humanity was literally marked, marked its calendar based on Jesus. Why does all the world hate Christians and hate you and hate me? And we'll call us bigots and all kinds of words for things that we believe. Not just us, but historically. Jesus, again, historically marked the calendar. We say B.C. or before Christ or A.D. Annual as Anno Domini, meaning the year of our Lord. The fact that he's coming again. The year that he came, that he's coming again. I think the people that, that even marked that didn't even realize what they were saying. They are being prophetic. That Christ has came and he's coming again. Jesus made the biggest mark anyone could have made in history. And so today my heart is not to convince you that Jesus is coming with historical facts or signs. The Bible says that many people wanted a sign or miracle from Jesus to prove himself. In Matthew 12, 38 through 48, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, had just accused Jesus of being associated with Satan. And they, they, they demand a sign. It's like, Jesus, give us a sign for him to prove he was God. And Jesus says, that he says, the only sign you have is the sign of Jonah, which is a gospel picture of death and resurrection and repentance and belief and love of God. So Jesus responds with a word in Jonah, which again is this gospel picture of repentance and belief or love of a true God. And history agrees that Jesus the man was real. Like no one will argue that Jesus the man was real and that he walked on the earth and he changed the world. All historians will say that. No historian will argue that. But just like the Israelites in the Old Testament, humanity, and just like us, we would reject that Jesus is God. 
and the one we are to love and serve. You see, history or facts won't win you over or allow you to repent and believe in God. Only God can do that, and only God can sustain that. And so we have our sign through God's word and history that Jesus was real, and he changed the world and gives eternal hope, peace, and redeeming joy and love. And guys, we can be sure that Jesus came at the perfect time in history to become our redeeming joy and that he is actually coming again. Friends and family, he is coming again. Let that amp you up. This I love Advent season because it makes me just excited and amped that he's coming again, that this is not all there is. And so where is your heart today, friends and family? Are you actually excited? Are you joyful that our king is coming back? Or are other thoughts controlling you? Are you stuck in sin? Is your mind drifting into other things and thoughts even right now? And have you forgotten about his return, his advent, and his coming? Do you have this true hope and joy in Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us today? Or maybe you're anxious or you're stuck worrying about the things of the world more than you are of how to love God. Is your life going so fast and spinning in your head that you can't think or breathe? Is your joy lost or broken? Have you ever truly even understood joy? That Jesus is our redeeming joy, that he gives you true joy in him. He's who we're supposed to enjoy, not in circumstances or stuff. That's immature Christianity, but solely in him. That if he would take your family's life or your life or bring you through hell on earth, that only because of his grace and his joy in you, that you would still make it and that you would still have joy. It doesn't mean you wouldn't cry or you wouldn't lament. The Bible talks about that. It says that we are supposed to suffer in a big way, Christians. Suffering is part of the journey. But remember, biblical joy is not just happiness. Happiness is an emotion that goes away. It changes. It's like water, waves. It moves to and fro. But, to and fro. but joy is a state of the heart. Joy is the state of your heart having true confidence in your triune God and his plan. It's knowing God and loving Jesus. It's a great commandment. And so our guys, are, are we truly abiding and, and living and loving Jesus and that he is the only thing, the only one, the only being that can give you joy? Have you been abiding in him for his redeeming joy? Is he abiding in you? Do you have this redeeming joy? He can offer you this salvation for the first time if you've never had this redeeming joy, or if you do believe and you just need to keep trusting him. We're going to take communion here in a bit, and that's a commitment to keep believing in him. You're not getting resaved. If you're saved, you're saved. But we need to remember what true joy, that, that God is, is, is God, that Jesus is God with us. It's been that way from the beginning. And so my encouragement is to long for this, his second coming. To, to long and just to pray this week, homework, pray for him to be a redeeming joy. Ask him right now as we take communion, be my redeeming joy. And we've seen in our text again that Jesus, he came at the perfect time in history. Don't let anybody lie to you. He came at the perfect time in history to be our redeeming joy. And y'all, he's coming again. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we love you and we need you in there's so much to talk when we look at your story and all the beauty and things that you've done coming as this, this child, Lord, who would change everything. Lord, we love you. We need you. And so we just ask you, 
Lord, to know and to find comfort that you actually came at the right time in history. Lord, that your word is true and that we don't have to um, look to other sources and other people. Lord, that we trust in you, that you are our redeeming joy and that you're coming again. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.